Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night. My name is Robert John Boyle. It is August 24th, 2020. You are listening to RJB365. And today we are talking cash bail. So before we get to cash bail, let's talk bail. What is bail? Basically, bail is a bunch of things that the court system will make you do to make sure you end up and show up for your trial, that you comply with the criminal justice system. Okay, so what specifically then is cash bail? The idea of cash bail is that you post bail, let's say it's $500, and that $500 exists as an incentive for you to actually show up for your court date. No different than the way that they make you put a down payment on a home as an incentive to make sure you actually go through with purchasing the home and paying your mortgage every single month. The idea with cash bail is that there's an incentive for you to show up. You show up for your case. Maybe it gets dismissed. Maybe you're proven innocent. And then your money comes back to you. So that's the idea of cash bail in a nutshell. The problem is when you don't have the money to pay for cash bail. And if that's the case, then you end up spending time in jail. And to be very, very clear, the difference between jail and prison is that in jail, people who are in jail have been less have been there for less than a year, usually, and it's mostly pretrial defendants, people who have been accused of something but have not been charged or convicted with something. Prison, on the other hand, is about one year up, and it's for people who have been charged and convicted of some type of crime. So why is this relevant? This is relevant because the cash bail system as it exists in the United States disproportionately negatively impacts poor people and people of color specifically. And there's a few ways First is, let's say that bond is posted at $500. Let's actually back up. Let's say you got arrested because somebody accused you of stealing something from a drugstore. The police were called, you got arrested, and now you are in front of a judge who posts $500 cash bail, and you don't have the money to pay it, and nobody in your family can get the money together for you to pay it. And so what you end up doing is you end up spending time in jail. And jail is really, really awful for a few reasons. First, most assaults take place in the first few days or weeks that someone is in jail. That is something that I had no idea about. When someone is awaiting their trial in jail, it's very, very likely that they will lose their job because they cannot show up. It's also likely that they may lose custody custody of their children because they can't be there to take care of them. During times like COVID, it's very, very likely that they might catch COVID. What we know about COVID is that the biggest hotspots have been meatpacking plants, elderly homes, and jails. And what's really, really, really fucked up about cash bail is that often people who are innocent will plead guilty just so they can go home, just so they can go see their kids before they have to come back for whatever their sentence may end up being. And let's say that 
you're in jail and none of that happens, but you call a bail bondsman. A bail bondsman is an industry that exists to make money off of paying bail for people who are awaiting trial. So let's say you call a bail bondsman for that $500 and that bail bondsman decides to pay the $500 for you. But let's say that bail bondsman is successful at getting you to show up for your court case and you, the case is dismissed or potentially you were innocent. Now you owe that bail bondsman an exorbitant amount of money. For instance, let's say the bail was 500. That would probably be a 10% fee. Now you owe, what is that? 550. Now you owe 550. You didn't even have the 500, which is why you owed the bail bondsman in the first place. And now you got to pay the 550, but oh, wait, while you were waiting in jail three days, you lost your job or you lost custody of your kids or something else happened. And so what ends up happening is very similar to payday loans. You had to take out a loan that you were never going to be able to repay and the interest is only accruing. And now your credit worthiness is going down. Now you're further into debt, which is only going to make it harder for you not only to pay back the bail bondsman, but for you to get to a place where you are credit worthy, where you can get a job. The long-term effects of small situation like this are, yeah. And so why am I talking about this specifically? I'm talking about this because on Friday, I was listening to an episode of the Tim Ferriss show where the guest talked about the bail project. Then on Sunday, I finished Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, the the thesis of which is that we all need to be rallying around anti-racist policies. And so I heard about the bail project. I started learning about cash bail. Kendi's telling me to focus on anti-racist policies. And so I decided I needed to learn about cash bail and learn about the alternatives and try to figure out what the fuck is going on here. And so that's why we're talking about cash bail today. And so what's being done? What's happening around this idea of eliminating cash bail? Well, in New York and California, there have been laws passed that have eliminated cash bail for certain minor offenses, but not for violent crimes. So that's one thing that's happening. Excuse me. Another thing that's happening is that ending cash bail has become a bullet point on the campaign list for a lot of Democratic congressmen and women and senators. I'm not sure whether or not Biden and Kamala have hopped on that bandwagon, but we shall see. And the biggest impact that's being had on this system is by the bail project. The bail project is a concept where we donate to the bail project, and then the bail project will pay the bail of people who are awaiting trial, of pretrial defendants. And what's amazing about this is unlike the bail bondsmen who pay bail in order to make money off of it, the bail project makes no money off of it. They pay the bail. And then when the defendant's case is dismissed or they're proven innocent, they literally take the money that they get back from the court and then they use it to bail out somebody else. It means it can be recycled two to three times a year. And they're doing great work. They've gotten thousands of people. I think the number is like 11 or 12,000 people out on bail who otherwise would have had to spend time in jail as a pretrial defendant. And what's very, very important for me to make clear here is that cash bail, unlike what many people will tell you, 
is not a deterrent against violent crime. Cash bail exists to get people to show up to court. That was the original conception. Make sure people have skin in the game so that they will show up for their court date. What's really interesting about the bail project, aside from the thousands of people that they have freed from jail, is that they've actually found the people that they bail out of jail, the money is not the incentive that gets them to show up for their court date. Think about it. They got bailed out by an organization, not by anyone they know, and it didn't come out of their pocket. Yet, 90% of them show up for their court date. The bail project says that all you really need is to remind people of the specific date and make it easy for them to be able to show up, and they will show up. And that makes sense. And so that's the introduction to cash bail and the bail project specifically. In later episodes, I'm going to touch on the opposition to eliminating cash bail, some of the alternatives to cash bail. What would we do if we were able to eliminate cash bail? What would replace it? And specifically, how conversations about eliminating cash bail and defunding the police are going to factor into the November election and also our political discourse at a time when crime is rising in many of major American cities. You know, I thought about postponing doing this episode until tomorrow, but I actually think it's better that I speak on this now. I was eating dinner and I checked my phone, which I should just stop checking my phone until I've like done everything that I need to do because in 2020, you can get fucked up checking your phone. I checked the New York Times, learned about a guy named Jacob Blake, watched the video. I remember before watching the video, I specifically told myself, like, take some deep breaths, take some deep breaths. And when I saw him get shot in the back seven times, I mean, my breath was completely, I could feel it just in my chest, just like stuck, just stuck. I don't know many details about this case. I've on purpose not dug deep into it because I wanted to make sure that I could get this episode off. But I just, I feel so incredibly apathetic because this has just happened so many times. And it's not, it's not just that an unarmed black man has been killed by a white police officer so many times. It's that I have gone through the process of seeing that video and then living out the aftermath in the media so many times this year that I know exactly what's going to happen. There's outcry on Twitter. There have been protests in many cities across the United States, including in Kenosha, Wisconsin, but also in New York and LA. And then conservative news media is going to talk about his criminal background history. It's going to talk about how he was resisting arrest, was going to try to make it about the protests and whatever violence occurs at those protests. And I feel apathetic because the reason I made this episode was because I wanted to learn about cash bail so that I could not only generate awareness of cash bail for my audience, but that's so I could more clearly understand how I can impact this system and try to make the world better. And right before I get ready to record, Jacob Blake happens. And that just leaves me feeling so unbelievably apathetic because I know what's going to happen. 
in two weeks, there will just be another one. And, and then another one. And then another one after that. And the only thing, the only saving grace, the only silver lining that exists in my head right now as a bedroom revolutionary. I love that term because that's so right. I'm a bedroom revolutionary. And I get that term because right after I found out about Jacob Blake, I ate my dinner and I started listening to an episode of Tea with Gary Vee. And this guy was on Tea with Gary Vee and he called himself a bedroom revolutionary. And I was like, ooh, that's me. And it wasn't what happened in that episode, but it's something that Gary says all the time. Patience. 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 The thing that I've been noodling on a lot over the past month and a half has just been that if I really believe in the Black Lives Matter movement, if I really want to have an impact, I have to be willing to do this for 67 years straight before we achieve what we want. It might take decades to eliminate cash bail. It might take decades to defund the police. It might take decades for these things to happen, and then they might be rolled back, and then we might have to fight for them again. And patience is the only thing that can keep us going in that kind of scheme. And it's even deeper than that. What I love about what Gary says is he says, micro speed, macro patience. Micro speed, macro patience. And what that means is that we have these lofty, ambitious goals. We have to be willing for them to take decades to happen. But on a day-to-day basis, we need to be quick. We need to be hungry. We need to be going after it. And so while I feel apathetic about being a bedroom revolutionary who's podcasting about cash bail, while people like Jacob Blake are being killed in broad daylight, the only thing that keeps me wanting to do anything is the idea that in 67 years, we might get to a point where something like that can't happen because I did the work on a day-to-day basis. Micro speed macro patients.